And I want you to open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Judges chapter 16. Judges chapter number 16. We're going to be talking again today about the life of Samson. We've been on a study of Samson's life, and so we're going to continue that uh, today. So this will be our third message in this series on Samson. Chapter 16, verse 1. Then went Samson to Gaza and saw there a harlot and went in unto her. And it was told the Gazites, saying, Samson has come hither, and they compassed him in and laid wait for him all night in the gate of the city and were quiet all the night, saying, in the morning when it is day, we shall kill him. And Samson lay till midnight and arose at midnight and took the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and went away with them, bar and all, and put them upon his shoulders and carried them up to the top of a hill that is before Hebron. Father, help us today, I pray, that you would open your word we might understand it, the Holy Spirit would speak clearly to us and, and do thy work, dear God, like only you can do in our midst. Thank you for your word. I pray that you would convict us with it today, challenge us, move us. In your name we pray these things. Amen. So we've been trying and attempting to glean, glean some practical lessons from the life of Samson, not just doing a historical biblical study, but trying to learn what is it from the life of Samson that I can apply to my life? How would Samson's life help me? Wise men learn from their own mistakes. Wiser men yet learn from the mistakes of others. And so we know that the Bible tells us in the book of 1 Corinthians that all these things were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the worlds are come, that we might somehow from them learn an example on how we are to live our life better for the Lord. And so God's not just, He's not just hanging everybody's dirty laundry out for us to view. God wants us to learn something from the experiences that these people have been through. Chapter 13 of Judges is such a chapter of hope. I mean, it's an amazing thing. As the chapter ends... Um, uh, it, it says, and the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp. So here's this man by the name of Manoah and his wife who hasn't has a, had a child yet. And, and Israel has been 40 years, listen to me, 40 years Israel has been in bondage. They've been under the oppression of the Philistine people. 40 long years. And now God comes to this couple and he says to them, I've heard the cries of my people. You're going to have a child and his name will, uh, he's going to deliver Israel. And they called his name Samson. What a day. What a thought. What grace. What a blessing. And the spirit, here's how the chapter ends. And the spirit of the Lord began to move him at times. Boy, what a chapter of hope. It, things look good for Israel. They really do. They've got to deliver now, and it's obvious that the hand of God is upon him. 
And then all of a sudden, one verse later, chapter 14, verse 1, a very ominous picture is painted because Samson, the deliverer, Samson, Samson, the guy that God has ordained to bring his people out of the bondage of the Philistines, Samson goes down to Timnath and finds a girl of the Philistine people and demands that his parents set up the arrangements so that he can make her his wife. He's girl shopping in Philistia. Now, can I just take a moment? Would you allow me to do that? Can I just stop and take a moment and make a statement or two to our, our singles that are here? And that's simply this. Marriage has enough challenges in it inherently in two, two separate people trying to become one and blend their idiosyncrasies and habits together. Marriage, in just, a, in just a good situation, marriage has enough challenges, even to people that are saved, that attend church, that love the Lord, that have a real heart to become what God wants them to do. Marriage just within itself has challenges. Somebody wrote that marriage is man's last great chance to grow up. <laughs> okay. Somebody else said that love is blind, but marriage is the great eye-opener. Is that true? Sometimes. So let me just say this to you young people. Listen to me carefully. If you go soul-searching, listen, if, 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 you go, if you go searching for a soulmate, Amongst the Philistines, the reality of the matter is you're, you're going to find out that that kind of life within marriage may be its own version of hell on earth. I mean, you, you may find out that it's more misery than marriage. You, you may find out that it's better to be alone than in bad company, as George Washington once said. You may find out, you may find out that there are worse things in the world than being single. And so I want to encourage you to learn something at least from this man's life, and, and that is don't, don't go looking for a soulmate in a place where people don't understand what your soul is all about. If you're a Christian person, can I encourage you to, to marry and live within the will of God for your life? Because that is where true happiness is found. It's not perfect by any stretch. Susie certainly made mistakes in our marriage. It's not, it, look, it's, it's not perfect. Some of y'all got to lighten up today, okay? You're really bothering me, all right? We'll be here a long time if you don't get some humor. Now, no, really, come on. No, no, I mean, you, you know, in 47 years of marriage, the reality of the matter is, in anybody that's been together that long, there have been struggles and, and disagreements and things like that. But boy, it's a lot easier when both of you know the Lord. Verse 14, chapter 14, verse 1, and, and Samuel and, and Samson went down to Timnath, Samson went where? Down. Where? Down. What was the direction of Timnath? It was down. And that's a, that, that is both literally and figuratively because from that point on, in Judges chapter 14, verse number 1, his life literally went downward ever since that step. It was a spiral away from everything that was good, a spiral away from those that loved him, a spiral that led him away from God and away from his fellowship with God. And if you read chapter 14 and chapter 15, if you look back all over those, all you see is the carnage that was left behind in a destructive wake 
of a man who was self-absorbed and, and, and living out his own ambition and lust. We'll talk next Sunday a little bit because next Sunday is the final chapter in the life of Samson. And I have to tell you that his life wasn't a total failure. I mean, we, we, we get the feeling sometimes that it is, and, and it, wasn't a, it wasn't a total failure. But my word, what wasted potential. This guy was an icon. You know what he was? You know what Samson was? He was a legend in his own time. Most people become legends after they die. I remember reading the the story in a biography of Davy Crockett, how that he went to D.C. and he attended a play uh, called the Lion, of the Lion of the West. And, and as he walked down the aisle, the play was actually about his life. And so he's walking down the aisle with a coonskin cap on and people are standing up cheering him. He's going to sit down on the front row and watch a guy depict his life in a play. And, and, and the guy said, very few men have ever lived such a life that while they're living, they are a legend. And that was Davy Crockett. And the same thing can be said about Samson. He was either loved, Samson or feared, depending on whether you were a Hebrew or a Philistine, but he was respected by neither. Not his people, not the people of the world. And, and to say that this man was an enigma would be a gross understatement. Uh, he, he, his life is a portfolio of wasted potential. And here's the thing, you read about this guy, you read about Samson, you read about this judge that is noted for his strength. And when it's all said and done, you walk away from the closing chapter, the closing scene with a sad heart. I don't don't ever read about Samson and feel good. I don't ever read the story of Samson and say, man, look at that guy. Boy, he was something. He killed a a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of an ass. Boy, that guy was a warrior. You never leave feeling good about him. There's always a sadness to it. Now I want to give you some points about Samson that I, that I, I think will be, will be helpful to us. First of all, Samson was a part-time hero. Samson was a part-time hero. You, you observe his life and, and, and you find a man that was used by God to defeat the enemies of Israel. But as you watch the scenes unfold before your eyes, you, you're not really sure. You, you, you're not really sure if he's doing his work or the Lord's work. As, as you watch this happen, Brother Gary, you don't get there and say, man, Samson is really moving forward for God. Because the reality of the matter is so many, so many of his motives were not spirit-led. Look at me. Listen to me. Samson was, not, Samson was used by the Spirit, but Samson was not a spiritual man. Preacher, I don't understand that. Well, you may not and I may not, but it's in the Bible. God used Nebuchadnezzar. There are other times that God used people that weren't spiritual. Samson was used by God to a degree for the overall picture of God's work, but Samson himself personally was not a spiritual man. And as we watch these scenes, we're not sure if he's fighting for himself or fighting for God. And most of the time, most of the time, you you find out that you ask yourself the question, wait a minute, is this all about God or all about Samson? And I think that we have to come to the conclusion that oftentimes it's about Samson and not God, at least in Samson's view of it. 
Now the reality is this. Listen, it's, sometimes it's extremely difficult to tell the difference between a spirit-led man and an ambition-led man. Because many times, many times they do the exact same things. So what's the difference between a man who's led by the Spirit, a man who's led by his, his ambition? What's the difference between this guy and this guy? The difference is in why they do what they do. <clears throat> why are you doing this, Samson? A Spirit-filled man does what he does for the glory of God. An ambition-led man on the other hand, does what he does for his own advancement and his own glory. He's simply magnifying himself. Now, I want you to listen to me carefully. You better mark this down. Uh, we have to be very careful about the motives behind what we do, what, we, what, what we're doing. And because we're sinners, we have to constantly and always check our motives out. We, we have to, look, look at me. We have to be suspicious of ourselves to a degree, Okay. And so we, we, we have to watch out for that. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Okay? So Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, let me tell you who needs glory in the church. Let me tell you where glory belongs in the church. It belongs to Christ Jesus. Okay? Unto him be glory, world without end. Philippians chapter 4, he writes to the church at Philippi, and he says, Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. He writes to Timothy, his, his son in the ministry, in chapter 1, verse 17, he says, Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That's what he wrote Timothy. And then in Jude, verse 25, To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. Now let me tell you something about you, okay? Now remember, I've got one finger pointing at you, and I've, I've, I've got three pointing back at me. So it's true about all of us. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. <laughs> and who can know it? Aren't you glad you came to church today? Isn't that wonderful? You get to go home and say, guess what? I, I got in church Pastor told me I had a wicked heart. Yeah, we all do. And so, so we have to be careful. Listen, we have to be careful and smart enough to be suspicious of our own motives and our own heart and find out exactly why. Dean, why are you doing this? Do you, are you trying, you want glory for yourself? Are you, are you trying to make a name for yourself? Are you, are, you, are you playing for the applause? Or are you in this for God's glory? 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. So whatever you're doing, you check it out. Find out what's your motive. Why am I doing this? Why am I here? What's my reasoning behind all this? Do everything you do. Whether you eat, you drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And by the way, if, you could, if you'd start out with this question... Can God get glory out of this? It, it might eliminate some things out of your life. Okay? You might not treat your neighbor's cat that way. Can God get glory out of that? Okay. All right. that's, that's very quiet, so I'm going to move on. Things are getting uncomfortable here. But we ought to question our motives. We ought to question our motives. Let me tell you something about Samson. Look at me. He was a part-time hero. 
We have to make up our mind whether we're in this with all we've got or whether we're just going to be part-time Christians, part-time servants, part-time on the job for God, part-time living so that God can get glory out of it. Samson was just a part-time hero, and the rest of the time he spent living for himself. Second thing I want you to know is this, and that is that Samson was a very, very poor student. Now, can I say that I have a great platform from which to address this subject, okay? Samson, just a, he's, just a, he's just a poor student. You know what, if I could go back to my school days, you know what I'd do? I'm going to shock you with this. You ready for this? You know what I'd do if I could go back to my school days? I'd pay attention. I'd care, okay? Now, wait a minute. When history was going on, I was all in. Son, my ears, I mean, my ears, it, were like, it was just like, it was like radar. I was picking up everything my history teacher said. I excelled in history, I excelled in reading because I loved reading, and I excelled in spelling. I won spelling bees because I loved to read, and so I was familiar with words. I loved every bit of that, but boy, 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 math. I want to stand before you and make this statement, and this, this will probably raise me in your estimation as a pastor. I, 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 I passed General Math 1, General Math 2, and General Math 3. Okay, you're not impressed. Listen, algebra and geometry, I, 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 didn't, I, didn't, get, I didn't get there. I, and I, I can't blame it all on my teachers. I, I just didn't apply myself. Was, I, I wasn't stupid. My dad asked me that question a couple of times. <laughs> on report card day, my dad would sit me down and say, boy, are you stupid? Now, if you are, I'll send you up to your bedroom to study the rest of the week. But I'm not going to put up with you cutting up in class and clowning around. I, you know what I wish I'd done? If I could go back, I would learn more and laugh less, okay? I'd resign my role as the class clown, and, and, and I'd actually try to apply myself a little bit, right? I told you the time I preached at my home church back in my home city and this large congregation, and over here is sitting my, my eighth-grade English teacher with her jaw dropped when they said, Dean Herring is going to preach, and I got up to preach, and I looked over, and, and there she's sitting with her jaw dropped, not believing. And I walked over to her. When it was over, I went straight over to her. It's so good to see you. And she said, boy, was I shocked to see you up there. <laughs> the grace of God. I, I wish I'd have been a better student. I want you to think about this. Chapter 14, chapter 15, you know, you know what you find? Life serves up some really brutal lessons for Samson. I mean, really, c- come on. I mean, the, the, the guy, he, he, he goes to the wrong place, marries the wrong woman. He, he's messed up. He, he's, he's, he's messed things up. He loses his wife, and, and, and ultimately it cost her her life, her dad his life. His wife and his father-in-law are dead. Samson murders 30 people for clothing, then goes down and ravages an entire Philistine village. This guy, chapter 14 and 15, is nothing but carnage. And so you get the idea, okay, all right, you've been to school, son. That's hard, man. You, you, had, a hard, you had a hard life. What would you learn from it? Chapter 16, verse 1, nothing. Chapter 14, chapter 15, carnage. Chapter 16, verse 1, listen to me. 20 years, 
passed between the last verse in chapter 15 and the first verse in chapter 16. There are basically 20 years there, minus a few days. 20 years later, hey, Samson, what did you learn back then? Boom. You don't even get an F minus, son. You get a zero. You, you learned absolutely, you, you didn't get one answer right. You, 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 you're not one ounce wiser for all you've been through. 20 years later, he's making bad decisions. 20 years later, he's serving self. 20 years later, he hasn't grown up. 20 years later, he's still the selfish, carnal individual that he always has been. 20 years later, nothing's changed for Samson. And he goes down to Gaza, sees a harlot, and went in unto her. Dude, are you kidding me? That's been the downfall of your life and 20 years as a judge in Israel, and you're still royally messing things up? Boy, you're a poor, you're a poor student. So he's taking the show to, 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 the, to, to the big time. It didn't work out in Timnath, which is a little rural country town, so I'm going big city. I'm taking the big show to the big city big time. That's what Samson thinks he's doing. You know what? In the book of Luke chapter 16, at least, at least after being broke as a joke in a hog pen, the prodigal son went home to his father and never returned to the hog pen. Samson keeps going back. Yeah, he, the hog pen is home for him. The hog pen is, he's a homeboy in, 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 in the hog pen in Samson's life. That's his, his comfort zone is the hog pen. And the difference between the prodigal son and Samson is that the prodigal son went back to the embrace of his father, but Samson never turned back home to God. Not one time. He, he never truly went home to God. He lived outside of the boundaries of the will of God. Can I help you? Look, look, listen. Be teachable. Make, take good notes in life. Learn things from other people. Learn things from your own mistakes. Learn. Be wise. Take good notes in life. Think about this. Dead end streets. You know where they lead? To dead ends. Well, that's a good, that's, that's pretty good. Think, think about that. That's good. That's, that's good to learn, learn from life. Hey, you know where a dead end street will lead you? It leads you to a dead end. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. If, if the guy before you went down that street and it was a dead end, why do you think you can go down that street and it leads you somewhere? No, no, no. It was a dead end for him. It'll be a dead end for you. And it'll be a dead end for the next guy that comes along thinking it's going to lead him somewhere. My brother right above me, I talked about him the other day. He was an alcoholic. You know what I figured out? It's a dead end. I mean, I wasn't real smart. I just confessed that in school. But you know what I figured out? I figured out, you know, that's, that's a dead end. And, and I watched where it led him nowhere, and, and I got to figuring out that's not the road I want to be on. It's a dead end. Another good thing to learn is that the consequences of all our choices, there, there are consequences to all of our choices, both good and bad. If you make a good choice, you've got a consequence that's good. If you make a bad choice, there's a consequence that's bad. So every choice you make has a consequence with it. If the good ones come with good decisions, why not make good choices? You can't make a bad choice and have a good consequence. Okay? 
Well, I robbed a bank and I'm living happily ever after in prison. No, that's not really a good, uh, that, that, that's, not, that's not really what you want. You understand what I'm saying? Bad decisions bring, it reaps the law of sowing and reaping. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You bring consequences by the choices you make. Here's another one I learned when I was young. Listen to this, okay? If it takes a 12-step program to get you free from it, it's dangerous. Again, you know, I, I, in the yearbook, I wasn't the most likely to succeed, but I figured that out. I, I mean, Alcoholics Anonymous, Cocaine Anonymous, Here's one, Clutterers Anonymous. There's a lot of anonymouses. Crystal Meth Anonymous, Codependence Anonymous for people that are in unhealthy relationships. Debtors Anonymous, I don't want to be there. I'm close, but I, I don't want to be there. There's Emotions Anonymous, Gamblers Anonymous. Well, gambling's okay. Well, why, there, why is there an anonymous? Well, no, no, no. If it's okay, why is there a 12-step program that leads you out from it? Why, why you got to take 12 If it's okay and it's innocent and it's all right, then why do you got to take 12 steps to get out of it? That makes sense to me. Heroin anonymous, marijuana anonymous. <laughs> 12 step programs are doing real good in certain states around us. They're flourishing as things are being legalized and nicotine anonymous. Here's one, maybe, maybe. Your parents ought to think about this. Did you know that there's an online gamers anonymous? <laughs> online gamers. Some of you were thinking, no, it ain't my kids that's got the problem. It's my husband. Well, it is addicting. You know what it is when you get a hold of it. You're trying to get level five. I mean, in services, I've had Mark Grinstead stand up and cheer while I'm preaching because he hit a certain level during the message. There's Workaholics Anonymous. Isn't it funny somehow, you know, there's been as many families destroyed by workaholism as there has been alcoholism. And they're 12-step programs to get you out of. I'm just simply saying, listen to me, if it, if it, can, if it can get that kind of a grip on you, you, you probably ought to avoid it. Just, just take good lessons in life. You don't have to live by those. I'm not saying go home and tear up whatever it is. I'm, I'm still thinking Atari days. But, you know, of course, that's probably more expensive than what you've got. But anyhow, I, I'm just simply saying, learn some lessons in life and take good notes and figure out, if this didn't work out for all those guys I know, it's not going to work out for you either. Don't try it. Number three, Samson lacked commitment. Now, I think it's obvious that his life was hit and miss and far more, far more miss than it was hit. I think that's obvious. He's not, he's not committed in his walk for God. He judged Israel for 20 years, but what did he accomplish? Listen, he won some iconic battles with the Philistines, but he lost the war that raged within him. He could kill a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of an ass, but he could not control his own passions. So here's a guy, he's like a Marvel comic book hero. He's walking around, you want me? You want some of me? Okay. So chapter 60, verse 1, the Philistines lay in wait. They said, we're going to kill him. As soon as he walks out the gate, we're going to kill him. So you know what Samson does? He doesn't walk out the gate. He walks with the gate. Uh, he picks it up on his shoulders. Now, by the way, let me help you with this. 
We'll talk about this at another time. But no man does that. No man has the power to pick up the gates. Samson isn't doing this because he's been in the gym. He's not Schwarzenegger. You know, he's not Ferrigno. He's not the, no, no, no. No, this, this guy, this guy without God is bound and has his eyes cut out by the Philistines at the end of chapter 16. This guy is no superhero. He's not a Marvel comic book guy. No, this is, a, this is an average guy who God Almighty empowers with his spirit, and he picks up the, the gates of the city, and he walks off with them, thinking all the while, I'm bad. I'm bad. Well, he's going to find out he's not real bad at the end of chapter 16. And he's going to be just like every other guy. Why? Because the Spirit of God will not empower him. But here's a guy now, he's, 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 he's uncommitted to God. Here's what Spurgeon said. Spurgeon said, beware of no man more than thyself. We carry our worst enemies within us. And that was so true. That was so true of Samson. He was his own worst enemy. He lacks devotion. And by the way, that, that lack of devotion to the Lord, listen, it spilled over into the rest of his relationships. I don't have a good relationship with God, so guess what? Samson doesn't have a good relationship with his, with, with his, his parents. He's ignoring their advice. He loses his wife. I mean, it's leading him deeper and further into he endangered the men of, remember the men of Judah in chapter 15 come to him and say, look, you, man, you're going to get us all killed. I mean, he's endangering other people by the way he lives. He's supposed to be following God and leading people, but he's following his own lustful desires. That's where Samson's headed in a hurry. And it seems like almost every conflict in his life begins with him chasing a Philistine woman. Doesn't matter if she worships Dagon. Doesn't matter if her culture and lifestyle is contrary to everything Samson is supposed to be believing. It's just simply, it doesn't matter that there's no future in a relationship like that. He wants her, he's going to get her. That's how Samson lived. She passed the eye test, and that's the only test she passed, and that's all that mattered to him. You ever wondered, you ever wondered why every time we turn a page, it seems like he's chasing a Philistine woman? Do you know why? Because he didn't want to marry a Jewish woman. Do you know why? Because if you married a Jewish woman, you were marrying her faith. He didn't want any, he had no commitment to God, no commitment to his parents, no commitment to his people, no commitment to his calling. He broke his Nazarite vow, no commitment to that at all. Now all of a sudden it's time for him to, 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 to enter into relationships and, and he doesn't want to marry a good Jewish girl. Why? Because then he, there's expectations. He doesn't want to go to church every Sunday. He doesn't want to have family devotions. He doesn't want to read his Bible. He doesn't want to be the spiritual leader of his home. He, he didn't want a wife that held him accountable for his faith. So every time we find Samson looking at women, it's the wrong women in Philistia. He wasn't faithful to God, and he dead sure wouldn't be faithful to his wife. And that's where it all begins. Our faithfulness with each other begins with our faithfulness to the Lord. Most of the time, it's a God problem. That's where everything begins 
to implode in our life is when we lose our contact with our Heavenly Father, then all of our other relationships suffer. That's important. Last of all, Samson was self-indulged. Boy, if you want to find, I think, the chief characteristic of this guy, he just self-indulged. Now, let me give you the definition of that so you'll know why I say it. Uh, being self-indulged is excessive or unrestrained gratification of one's own appetites, desires, or whims. So Samson is a guy who had excessive, an excessive need to make himself happy. He self-indulged. He, he had an excessive need uh, uh, for, to, to live a life of unrestrained self-gratification. I'm living for me. I don't care about you, Mark. I don't care about you, Nathan. I don't care about you, Linda. I care about Dean. I'm not watching out for your good. If it conflicts with my good, I'm putting me number one. I care about me. And by the way, man, that's how the world's living today. Man, talk about sick. We live in a sick culture, in a sick society. It's about me, you know. And, and that's where we're at. L let me show you something that will help you understand a little bit about the contrast between who his parents were and who he was. In chapter 13, verse 8, his parents are, are praying. It says, chapter 13, verse 8, then, in, then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O oh my Lord, let the man of God which thou didst send, the guy, that's the guy that told them they were going to have a child, let him come again to us and teach us what we shall do unto the child, uh, when the child that shall be born. In chapter 13, verse 12, And Manoah said, Now let thy words come to pass. How shall we order the child, and what shall we do to him? So here's Manoah. He's praying before God, and he says, Dear God, could, would you help? I, I, we never had any idea we were going to have a deliverer, that we were going to give birth to the next guy, the 13th judge that got Israel out of 40 years of mess. We don't know how to raise that kind of a guy. We don't know. How do you raise him? How do you raise a... Um, how do you raise a, a deliverer? God, we don't know how to do that. Could you teach us how? Give us some hint of how to do this. They didn't say, God, make us rich. We're, we're, after all, Father, we're raising the God that's going to get Israel out of them. Could you, could you bless us with money since we're willing to do this? Could you make our life really good? Could we be famous? Heavenly Father, we don't know how to do what we're supposed to do could you teach us and help us? Boy, that's humility. Now let's look at Samson's prayers. First prayer of Samson, chapter 15, verse 18. He just got through with the big battle. Verse, verse, this, is the, this is the first time he called on God's name. And he was sore thirst, chapter 15, verse 18, and called on the Lord. Well, what's he going to say? Here he is. Thou hast given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant, and now shall I die for thirst? And fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? That's a selfish prayer. Now, he, he knows how to approach God at least by saying, Thy, Thou hast, Lord, thank you for this. And after all, I am your servant, but you can just leave me out here to die now? You know how thirsty I am? Could you do something for me so that it would ease my thirst? I'm thirsty, God. I just got to killing all these people. Help me. He's just praying for himself. Go to the last prayer of his life. Only the second time is mentioned, chapter 16, verse 28. And Samson called unto the Lord, 
and said, O oh Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me. I pray thee only this once, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my eyes. So every, both prayers, the only two prayers recorded by his parents were for help from God. The only two prayers recorded by Samson were for help for himself. He was self-indulged. Now I'm going to close, but listen, listen to this. Let me wrap this up. Besides his insatiable appetite for Philistine women, there are two things that he was obsessed with. Number one, he, he was obsessed with getting even. And number two, he was obsessed with getting revenge. In chapter 15 and verse 3, Samson said concerning them, Now shall I be more blameless than the Philistines, though I do them a pleasure. You know what, what he's saying there? You did this to me, now I'm going to do a lot more to you than you did to me. I, listen to me. I don't get mad, I get even. You, you hurt me? If, if you think that you hurt me, <clears throat> you've seen nothing yet. I will get even with you. And he goes in and wholesale slaughters people. Just massacres them. Using the power of God for his own purpose. Notice verse number 28 of chapter 16. We just read it. Samson calls unto the Lord and says, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once. God, this is going to be it. Last time I'm going to pray to you. Last time I'm going to ask for something. Why am I asking? That I may be at once avenged. Avenge me. Heavenly Father, get glory from my life. God, I pray that, that the whole world will know that you're God. What did David say when he walked into a valley to face the giant? He said that all the earth may know. That's not what Samson's saying. He not, he's not worried about God's reputation on all this or what people are going to know, know God. He, he's, not, he's not concerned about any of that. <clears throat> Lord, do this one, one more thing I, just once. Avenge me. Avenge me of what they did to me. There's not one point in the Bible that Samson is ever indicated to be happy. Not one time. And I want you to listen to me. If you're going to spend your life wearing war paint and collecting scalps, you'll never be happy yourself. You know why? There's never enough blood never enough flesh to satisfy a person who is bent on vengeance. You'll never be satisfied. You better take the paint off and bury the hatchet. Well, pastor, it's, it's, it's my ex. Really? It's my ex. You know what he did to me? You, you, you know what he did to me? You, you know how he hurt me? Oh, it's my boss. I, 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 I served, listen, I did the very best I could do, and, 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 and he stabs me in the back, passed me over for the, for, for the, for the promotion, or, or it's, 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 it's one of my kin, it's my neighbor, it's my aunt, it's my uncle, it's my cousin. They betrayed me and humiliated me. I'm going to ask you a question. Here's my question, then I'm going to close. Remember, that means nothing from a Baptist pastor, but just remember I said that. In the middle of the book of Philippians, Paul says, finally, brethren, 
You still got a half a buck to go. Okay, so let's just define that. Here's my question to you. Serious question. Do you believe that God knows how to handle the situation better than you do? No, no, no. No, no. Do you? See, here's what you're worried about. <laughs> Come on. This is, this is what we worry about. No, he's going to show mercy. I know God, and God's going to show mercy, and I don't want mercy. I want scalps. I want justice. Well, let me ask you a question. You think God knows more than you know and better than you know? God may know some things that you don't know. And let me promise you this. If God shows mercy where you think there should be justice, his mercy is justice. God's always just. If you're his child, God knows you. If you're not his child, he knows you. He knows what's been done to you. And he loves you more than anybody in all the world. And God knows how to handle your situations better than you do. So stop the drive for vengeance and leave it to God. Hebrews 10.30, For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth to me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. So here's what we do. Here's what we do when we're wrong. We go to God and say, no, you give me that. Uh, no, I, I won't, I won't vent. No, you give me that. that no, no, okay, thank you, I love you. No, no, you, no, you give me that. Vengeance, it said, belongeth to God. So when I take vengeance in my own hands, I am not only robbing from God, but I'm declaring myself to be the rightful owner. I make ding God. Yeah, I'm thankful for him, but in this situation, I want, I want the steering wheel. I want to handle this, because I'll, I'll do it my way. And I'll feel better about my way, but you'll mess it up. Ernie, some of the worst decisions I ever made was when I decided that I was going to handle situations that God could handle. Now, there comes times we have to deal with certain things. I understand that. But I'm talking about when somebody wrongs you and, and, and you, you should just let God deal with it and trust God to do it. And we try to commandeer it and work it all out. We really, we don't work it out well at all. So there's Samson. There's Samson for you. Let me ask you a question. Are you, are, are you bent on getting even? Are you self-absorbed? You know, the best thing we'll ever do is be honest with ourselves. We can, we can hide behind, you know, all our excuses, but, but you'll never get better until, until we take a long look at ourselves. Are you self-absorbed? Sometimes God will say to us in the quiet places of our heart, you better check out your motive for that, son. Why are you doing that? Hey, Dean. Man, why, why, why'd, you, why'd you just do that? Why are you doing that? You want somebody to pat you on the back? I'll tell you the story, and I'll close again with this. I went to my mama's house one time, and I said to my mother, who was a godly saint, I said to her, it was about something that was transition that was happening in my life, and I said this to my mama. I said, I, I think I've paid my dues. I, and I said this, I think I've earned my stripes. 
I think I have this coming. And my mother, who thought I did no wrong, you know, she always gave me the benefit. I would say, I would tell her I did something. She'd say, he never did that. Mom, I was there. I did that. No, I was too sweet to do that. Thank God for mamas. She said, well, son, I agree with you. I hugged her neck, got in the car, pulled out on Norwood Avenue, and I didn't realize I had a rider with me. It was the Holy Spirit of God, Gary. And the Holy Spirit of God, oh, my word, the ride we had those 60 miles back. He said, hey, boy, so you're giving out stripes now to yourself? Wow, you're promoting yourself. You deserve this, Dean. You've paid your dues. Who determines whether you paid your dues or not? You, you, you don't determine that. You, you don't give out rewards, Dean. I do. I'll determine when you deserve what you deserve. Man, I wept and prayed and confessed and got home and called Mama. And I said, Mama, I, I got to I got to apologize. Son, you don't, uh, Mama, you got to listen. The Holy Spirit of God just worked me over. I don't deserve anything but hell. If I got what I deserved, I'd die and go to hell, just like everybody else that's on their way to hell. The only reason I'm not going to hell is not because of what I deserved, it's because of His gift and His grace. So listen, just let's be honest with God. Confess where you're at, admit where you are, and get it right. Let's bow our heads, could we? Just play a stanza on the piano. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if you, if, if you can't say, I know 100% I'm going to heaven, well, don't leave today. Let us take a Bible and show you how God has planned. He's mapped out salvation, and you can have His free gift. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you say, I'd like to go home today and pillow my head tonight for the first time, know for sure I'm going to heaven. We'll take a Bible and we'll show you before you leave here today how you can know that. Don't leave today without letting us do that if that's your situation. Maybe today you're, you haven't been a good student. God's taught you things and you haven't learned. And maybe today... Maybe today you're thinking about some lessons you've missed out on. Learn well. Take good notes. Take good notes. Don't be part-time in your service for God. Get all in. Just Listen, just get all in for God's glory. Live for Him. Be committed to the Lord and to each other. Father, thank you today for who you are. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your word. I pray that you would, uh, God, direct us this week. Help it to be a great week, Lord, I pray. Blessing everything we say and do. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask these things. Amen.